Open seats in Missouri's legislature aren't very common, but term limits and redistricting can make them happen. Such is the case with the district that includes Rolla. Tara Peters is the Republican nominee and joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking and talks about her views on entrepreneurship, Missourians' work ethic, and her pumpkin patch. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. I'm Jonathan All, the Rolla correspondent for St. Louis Public Radio, and this is Politically Speaking. The 122nd District is new after redistricting, sort of. There were some lines that were redrawn. Jason Chipman, who had been an incumbent in the area, was term limited out. Now, the new 122nd features an open seat between Tara Peters and Lisa McCarthy, and Tara Peters is our guest on Politically Speaking today. Tara, Good thanks morning. for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate that. Let's start by, tell us a little bit about yourself and sure. why you decided to run for the state legislature. Yes, yeah, so uh, my husband and I have been here since uh, 2003, so we've been in Missouri and Rolla for about 20, 20 some years now. Um, we run a small business out 63 South. Um, about 12 years ago, we bought a farm out um, 63 and decided to open a pumpkin patch. Um, and so during that small business um, and going through all that kind of stuff, um, last year when we were, the last two years when we were going through the pandemic, um, kind of formed a little bit of an alliance with some um, other local businesses and just um, very concerned about the closings that happened and some of the shutdowns and what was essential businesses and what wasn't. Um, and at that time, I, I kind of voiced um, a lot of concern about that. Um, so back in February, uh, Bob May, who is our former state representative, um, him and I became friends. I worked at the Veterans Home in St. James for about seven years. He served on our Assistance League board, which is the nonprofit group that um, provides funding for the veterans to uh, get them some of the things that the state money doesn't provide. Uh, him and I had breakfast. Um, we had talked about possibly running in that open seat, um, discussed who we had heard was going to run in that seat to make sure we kind of knew maybe what the competition was. There was talk of maybe Sarah Steelman's son running. Um, some other people. We decided that they they were not. Um, my husband kind of just encouraged me to, since I was being so vocal during the pandemic, that maybe I should get involved um, in representing our area for some small business issues. So that's tell, how it started. Tell me a little bit more about your farm. So you have a pumpkin patch. Do you, What else do you do on that farm? So we just do, we were going, actually funny, it kind of tied in a little bit to the pandemic. So when we opened 12 years ago, we were strictly going to do pumpkin patch. So we do hay wagon rides. Um, it's agritourism. Um, passionately and proudly enough, I also serve and have for the last seven years on the Missouri Farm Bureau Agritourism Committee. So basically this committee uh, meets and we travel all around the state of Missouri to go to agritourism destinations uh, to try to make those economical for those communities. Um, and so right before the pandemic hit, I was working at the hospital. I was doing marketing um, at Phelps Health um, for their hospice and home health. So healthcare has been in my background as well. Um, my husband, we had, we had, I had worked there five years, decided I was going to get vested in my 401k, and he said, you should quit, and we should really turn the farm into full-time. Um, 
MS&T students about five years ago, part of their business uh, senior pro, one of their senior programs as part of a business plan, um, they built a trebuchet for us and came up with an entire business plan that would make us uh, feasible throughout the year. Everything from running a bee farm maybe in the spring to doing a uh, drive-in theater in the in the off months. So it was a great business plan. So we talked about making the farm full time, and then I quit, and literally the next month the pandemic hit. So there was no activity on the farm. It kind of sat still for a bit. We do do some um, Friday nights on the farm. We have some bands come out there. We have had a lot of corporate um, um, places rent the farm. We've planted some flowers and had them do some like wine, pick flowers events and some of those types of things. But it never really grew into the like full-time year-round thing that we had originally planned to do. How big is the farm? Uh, we own about 68 acres out there, but okay. we only use about the front 15 to run the pumpkin patch. So again, hay wagon rides, zip lines, um, we have a giant slide, we grow pumpkins, we have a big corn pit, we do a lot of, it's just very good farm family fun. So when, if you are elected to the state legislature, what will be your priorities? What, what do you want to focus on? Sure. Um, I talk about three things. Again, number one is small businesses. Um, I believe that we're missing a little bit of an entrepreneurial uh, aspect to the state of Missouri. Um, and when I say that, um, I'm also a realtor. I work for Farrell & Associates um, as a realtor. I just got back from a convention um, in St. Louis last week, and we talked a lot about um, housing and how it affects us economically, um, had some really interesting things we talked about. You know, when we talk about the quality of life here in Rolla, um, one of the things that drives that is, is, is economic development. Obviously, if we've got businesses to come to and, and great places to work, it's going to draw people to the community, um, makes our housing very popular, those types of things. We talked a little bit about, you know, in the state of Missouri, we're kind of in the middle, so we make things and we move things. Um, I think that we are have a, an issue right now. Sorry, I'm backtracking a little bit here. Um, quality of life is very important to the people around here, including myself and my husband and our families. We, we moved here because we really enjoy the place that we live and the, the amenities that it offers. It's starting to get affected by some things, and by that I mean both minorly and majorly. Um, everything minorly from people are not working. If you talk to companies in our area, the number one thing that they can't get is employees. Why are not why are we not having a, why are we having a problem with people working? Everything from you know our our you know you go to the Panera and and at six o'clock at night the doors are shut because they don't have enough people. That's a minor issue. A couple months ago it turned into a major issue. People at Walgreens that were able to were not able to get their prescriptions because people were not there to fill the positions. So what what is the what does the state do to to fix that? Well, the state right now, Governor Parsons is very adamant about workforce development. That is one of his big pushes. I think that on our area as well, we need to have programs and types of things that um, not only are, are people going to college, but they're getting training and they're learning new trades and they're um, going to maybe a, a smaller school, not a, a larger college, radiation or dental hygiene or those types of things so that we can get people to work. We need to offer some more incentives, I think. Um, I, again, I, you know, I, I joke with my friends, but I mean, where are these people getting their money from? I mean, do you have a mortgage? Do you have a house payment? I do. Do you have insurance? <laughs> do we pay for all these things? Where are these people getting the money to, to, to pay for these things? I just don't understand why we're having such an issue with people working. And it, it is affecting our quality of life in our communities. Let me push back a little bit on that because there was just a fabulous uh, Twitter thread that made the rounds uh, about a month ago about the people don't want to work anymore. And, and, and 
somebody pulled newspaper clippings going back to the 1850s where like every 10 or 15 years somebody said the problem in this country is nobody wants to work anymore is this really a new thing or is this just a cycle in business or are people just not you know are people making different decisions about do they want to take a job for $12 an hour with no benefits with no opportunity for advancement where they are expected to work very hard and to get cut when when the customers stop coming in they may be scheduled for 8 hours but when the customers stop coming in they get cut to sent go, to go home i mean there there are plenty of reasons why people don't want to work at panera that have nothing to do with you know, grander issues, I would think. I think it's a combination of above all. I think that we have a generation of people, and, and again, you have to remind who you're talking to. I, I'm a farmer, and I work very hard. And I'm talking about not just running a farm, but I've always had a full-time job. My husband's always had a full-time job. I believe that everybody needs to contribute to society in some form. That's what makes society go around. I do. Um, and I believe that people, you're right, hard work is is a is an issue because I don't think people want to work very hard for the pay that they get or the benefits that they get. Um, and, and, you know, you have to offset all of that, like you said. You know, is it worth it to them to to make $12 an hour and if they're not getting benefits? And I, and I think benefits aren't as important to people anymore either. You know, when I was going... Excuse me? No, benefits <laughs> are not important to people. I I, I I mean, you used to work in healthcare. Are you... I mean, I... I've got great benefits, and I can barely afford to take my kids and to that, the doctor. And that's your and I's generation. Same here. You know, I took a job because I knew I, I worked for the state of Missouri at the St. James Veterans Home. I knew that I got 12 paid holidays and that I was contributing to a 401K and that I got vacation time. I had excellent health insurance. Those issues, are, those things are not important to people nowadays. They're just not. I think that if they, you know, the, that generation, if they get sick and they go to the hospital and they go to the emergency room, that they know that it's going to be paid for whether you have in health insurance or you don't. I don't believe that benefits are as important to people as they used to be. I do. Hmm. Um, right now, as we're recording this, the uh, legislature is in the midst of a special session to talk about tax cuts and agricultural tax credits. What do you make of the proposals that are on the table and where that stands? Sure. The agricultural issue has passed. Um, and to be truthfully honest with well, at, at the moment, it's past the Senate, right? And it's going to the House. Sure, sure. Um, so there's some things with that. Um, you know, when you get down to Jefferson City, you've got um, the Conservative Caucus, and there's other caucuses. We we talked about this this past week. Benny Cook and I have, because um, obviously he was down there. I went down for the session last week, um, but they gaveled in and gaveled out, and so there wasn't a whole lot of activity that day. Um, but there's some things in this that even the Conservative Caucus who those groups say that they're never going to vote for a tax cut uh, or a, a tax benefit. You know, some of the things in that agricultural bill was that it was tax credits for farmers, and they did vote for the bill. Um, so I, I, I think that the agricultural bill should have passed. The tax credits, we really need to, um, we need, we need to give a tax cut to our Missouri citizens. We just do. It's the formula that needs to make sure that their concern is that it needs to be sustainable. And by that, I mean we can't give a tax cut to our Missouri citizens now and then two years from now decide that we don't have enough money in the budget. Like Kansas. Like Kansas, and then come back to the taxpayers and say, we're going to have to increase your taxes because we're now, we don't have enough funding. The formula has to be correct, but it has to be where we are giving some money back to our Missouri citizens. I, I think everybody, at least in the, the Republican majority, agrees with that. The issue is who gets the money. Right. And so where do you fall on issues like should there 
be an increase in in, in the base uh, of, of you know the of because right now the way that what what is structured right now what's the way it's structured is that um, people who make the least amount of money will get the least benefit from this. Sure. Permanent tax cut. No, and I, I don't think that. You know, what is the solution? Do we do away with property tax? Do we do away with, you know, we, we've tried to do away with that for how long now? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's the issue. Again, there needs to be a formula that is that is fair and accurate to everyone, and I don't know what that formula is. So let me talk about the agricultural tax cuts credits because, you know, and I'd love your perspective on this because it, we talk about farmers all the time. And if you have a 68 acre farm, you are wildly different than most of the people that are referred to as farmers in agricultural policy. What's being proposed will help row crop farmers and ranchers that have enormous operations, will help them more than than small operations. And How you're you right, I that? have a different perspective. And, yeah. and I, as a as a conservative Republican, obviously, I would never say that there's no taxes. Obviously, if our community, there's a need and that we need to make sure that we're um, fulfilling that need, I'm never going to say that there's not going to be a tax. The Americans for Prosperity Group is going to hate me here because, again, I have a different perspective. They don't believe in farming um, credits. They don't. Mm-hmm. And as a farmer, you know, and in agriculture, I'm very adamant about the fact that, you know, and I've seen it this year, we've had a huge drought. And I'm not, and again, my my corn doesn't feed people. It doesn't. We have a little corn maze that people can walk through. So those row crop farmers that are actually growing food for the masses, when we have a drought and we have these things and none of that food's going to be, be able to be used, I believe that we need to help them out. And I know that that's not going to be kosher with everyone, but But, I mean... But but let's talk about the scale issue, because I think there's a huge difference between someone that farms 1,500 acres of corn and beans compared to someone who has a pumpkin patch or someone who's growing mushrooms or someone who's doing, you know, pecans and walnuts or, you know, there are a lot of very small farms that don't get any benefit from these huge agricultural tax credits it's very much focused on the biggest farms and the biggest pieces of land. It, do we need to look more carefully at when we are helping farmers to make sure that we're helping very small farmers? I think we do. Um, you know, again, we do other things, so we're, we benefit in other ways. And again, I don't believe in, in handouts. I, I, I just don't. But as at the same time, you know, if, if I guess if my farm was destitute and I wasn't being able to, due to some weather situation, make any money from it... Um, that I wouldn't want to have some type of help from the government. So, I, again, I'm a little – I believe that some smaller farms, depending on what they offer, there should be some benefits for them as well. What do you think about the way this district is now drawn? Because it now – the new district map is the eastern part of Phelps County. Um, do you think it helps or hurts that Phelps County is divided up among two different districts? Oh, no, I don't at all. Uh, so Betty Cook is the um, incumbent for it. It's just a very small. So it's literally all of Phelps County, all of Rolla, all of St. James. And I like to say when I'm trying to describe it that it looks like the cookie monster took a little chunk out of the little western area up there. So if you're out 63 north, um, out state highway patrol E, there's a little territory there that's part of Benny's. Um, I like to think that Benny and I, have I, we've kind of um, – We've worked together a lot in the last several months since the primary. Um, I think he's a great guy and that he's got a lot of um, similar interests that I do. 
Um, so him sharing Phelps County, um, if in fact I win in the general, I think that we'll make a great team to take care of our community. This is a very um, Republican area, and odds are you're going to win. Um, Can I get that in writing? No. <laughs> I mean, I'm just... I, I, no, I, we've talked about it. We tend to be very red, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, well, I guess my question is, so let's say that you live, you win in a landslide, which, you know, would be 60-40. Okay. Um, how do you represent the 40% of the people who didn't vote for you? Because you are their representative in the House. And and I, I completely understand the idea of majority rule. And, you absolutely. Know, but... For the 40 percent of people who don't vote for you, how do you represent them and their interests when they fundamentally disagree with you on some things? Easy question. So a couple months ago, I love this question. Um, I attended a um, speaker that came to talk about the mission at the St. James Catholic Church, and I cannot remember his name, but he came. He was a, a national speaker, came to talk about homelessness and what our communities could do. And I sat at that table that evening with a lady. Um, and I knew her from somewhere, I'm not quite sure. And um, the, she waited to the very end of the, the speech, and she pulled up her chair next to me, and she looked right at me, and she goes, you're going to have to explain this Republican thing to me. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're asking me. Basically, very liberal lady, and I, very conservative person, had a very decent conversation about the fact that I believe that we share a lot of similarities. Do we have a lot of differences? Absolutely. I think it's it's not so much that we're drawn in the middle of the line that we're not going to not listen to the other side or not take care of their needs or not hear what they have to say. Um, and I believe that I'm a good person for that. Her and I had a great conversation about all kinds of things when it came to um, Democrat versus Republican. And I, I, you know, I'm not so conservative that I'm not going to represent the other 40 percent that's in our community. Um, I think that we do share a lot of similar interests on some things, and I, I think that as a good listener and a representative of that area, that I that is a constituents that I have to listen to, and I have to take their concerns and their needs um, for what they are as well. We'll have more with Tara Peters, the Republican candidate for the 122nd District in the Missouri State House after the break. And we're back with Tara Peters, the Republican candidate for the 122nd District in the Missouri State House of Representatives. Um, we were talking about this area being pretty red. However, this is also an area that while they consistently vote for people who are Republicans, who are conservatives, um, this is an area that has also you know, voted with the rest of the state for expanding Medicaid, for uh, medical marijuana defeating right to work. How do you, what do you make of an area that, that elects conservative people to office, but also is pretty supportive of some ballot initiatives that tend to be more progressive? Well, I think, and marijuana is a really good example as well. I, you know, I, I have to be honest, I'm not against legalizing marijuana for medical purposes. I'm not. Um, but this bill that's coming in the election in November has got some things in it that are not good for the they're not good for our community and they're not good for our state. Um, Such as. Um, I think that it's so basically when the when and we thought about this as well. So when they decided to um, give licenses for farms that grew marijuana, uh, they I, I thought they should have stayed with more. Missouri farms, again, we should be taking care of our 
own people in our own state. A lot of those licenses went to a lot of out-of-state people, Colorado, some of those places. There are some things in this bill that, again, do not represent um, keeping things local, and I have a problem with that. Um, okay, so I, I understand the mechanics of it can definitely be um, can definitely be up for debate. Sure. But philosophically, if all the mechanics work out, are you okay with the idea of recreational marijuana being legal in Missouri? I am not. Why is that? I believe that marijuana is a gateway drug. I do. I and, and again, I the, the 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 science doesn't suss that out. I know. And and it, it it feels like that's the dare programs that we all grew up with, telling us that you know in in movies like Reefer Madness that if that it's a short trip from marijuana to black tar heroin. And the science and the data and the research does not suss that out. As a matter of fact, alcohol, much more addictive, much oh, more absolutely. damaging. absolutely. Absolutely. that's legal and it's not going sure, anywhere. Sure, sure. Um, you know, you, you asked what, what, some, what are some other things in that bill as well. Um, well, no, I, 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 just philosophically, you, so you are definitely opposed to recreational marijuana to, regardless of the details of, of how it would be implemented. I would have to, not necessarily, no. Okay. Yes. I, again, the bill that is being proposed, though, there are things in it that are not just addressing that. They're addressing a whole lot of other things. And I do not think that the current way that it is um, going to be presented in November, on November 8th is going to be beneficial to our community. I do not. The, do you feel that there needs to be a change in the way that ballot initiatives come up in Missouri? Because it, it, what we think about the details, it's still going to be an up or down vote. There is no way to go into the ballot box and say, I like the idea, but only if this is fixed. Absolutely. So ballot initiatives, um, again, the Republican Party is very is trying to get some things changed. Um, my campaign is obviously We the People for Tara Peters. So I am very, um, our Constitution is a very vital tool. The Missouri Constitution, I believe that it should not be as easily changed as it is. You know with ballot initiatives that those that have the most money um, and the bigger cities that want things passed, this is just a way for them to get those on the ballot to get those passed. Um, I believe that there should be a voice and that there should be a, uh, there should be ballot initiatives and that there should be some issues that, that the people should be able to present. I just don't think it should be as easy as it is now. And I do not believe that those that have the money should be able to get it on the ballot as easily. And, and do you have specific ideas on how that should be different? No, okay. no. Um, I just, again, the Constitution should be, it should be very secure. And I think that it, with a ballot initiative at this point in time, that it is, it is too easy to get issues on the ballot and that that Constitution should be a little more protected when it comes to those. And, and I, I understand that point of view. Let me pose this in a slightly different way. Um, the Republican Party has always been about the freedom of the people. Sure. And is there anything more free than the people to easily get something on a ballot for Absolutely. everybody to vote on? Absolutely. Is it, doesn't it, isn't that part of the whole freedom to, to, to have a direct line? Yes, and it should be the people. It shouldn't be large um, corporations and lobbying firms that have the money that are, apps, that are doing that. It should be the people that are able to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So if you and I aren't the ones that have the money to um, – make sure that we're getting the, the signatures that are needed or those types of things are going through the process, those are the people that, that, that it should be able to be effective for. Would you be in favor then of 
the same restrictions on ballot initiatives and funding from outside sources, would you be okay with applying those also to people running for public office in Missouri? Because there are a lot of large corporations and a lot of outside interests that put money behind Democrats and Republicans. Sure. In the Lobbyists, state. is that what Lo- we're talking about? Well, I mean, yeah. if, if, if the, the ballot initiative process is tainted by this outside money and you want to take that away, shouldn't you also take that away from the people who, who use it to get uh, elected to office? You'll have to be more specific about that. Well, okay. Are so, you t- you're trying to, to tie in the ballot initiative to elections? Well, okay, so if you say that, that, that there should be restrictions on how easy it is to get an, a, a, a ballot initiative on the ballot and restrictions on how it's funded from outside people, shouldn't that also be applied to candidates for office? In Missouri. So again, you're asking if lobbyist money should be used mm-hmm. to help elect. Should we should we outlaw that? If we're going to outlaw it for for ballot initiatives, well, shouldn't I never we said out- outlaw? Well, uh, okay. yeah, heavily had, restrict. You, Heavil- and heavily restrict is okay. a little restrict. Okay, I think that there <laughs> what, should whatever be you, should should it be the same for both things? I think that whatever the policy is, it should be fair and it should be for the people, right? Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't be that you should be able to just because you have money, right, be able to do that. So, I mean, yes, I guess if the restrictions is the word that you're looking for, right? Sure. Right. Let's just use the word process, right? Okay. So that the process then should be so that... um, The same for both. It should be the same for both. Okay. Sure. Um, Earlier, we were talking about some of your priorities, and you talked about entrepreneurship and sure. small businesses. Were there other ones that we didn't get to? We did. We didn't talk a little bit about so education. Um, I've met with a lot of teachers in the area. Some of the things that they that they've talked about are two things. One, obviously, pay increase for teachers, which I think is very important. You know, we're the fiftieth state um, in the country for our teachers' pay, mm-hmm. um, and they're very concerned about uh, safety. Um, the chances of us having a school shooting in Rolla, you know, I think that the, the percentage is something about that um, you get a greater chance of getting struck by lightning, right? The chances of it or whatever. Anyway, the, the teachers are very concerned um, for school safety in our area that just they want to make sure that there are protocols in place that if, in fact, something happened, that they would have the tools necessary uh, to react to that. So that's been one of their major issues. Um, I believe in school safety, and I do think that we should do something about that. That's one of the things that's on my um, agenda as well. And then we talked a little bit about um, small business and then agriculture and tourism um, and getting people back to work. So um, those are some of the things that I've focused on the last several months. And what, what, Do you have specific ideas on school security? I do. I actually believe that we should have veterans retired veterans, um, and they should be at all of our schools. Armed. Armed veterans at our schools. Yes, I do. Um, the, the, the massacre at the school in Uvalde, Texas, mm-hmm. there were dozens and dozens of armed police officers that stood outside that school for a long time. Mm-hmm. The key here was stood outside the school. <laughs> well, okay, but but I <laughs> no, mean, I'm just giving you. But if if you have an armed veteran in a school, um, I mean, do we do we know for sure? I mean, have have we been able to prove that a good guy with a gun really does stop a bad guy with a gun? Because the bad guys with guns mm. keep killing people, and there are a lot of good guys with guns. Right. 
Um, I believe that we have. Who's the kid that was just at the shopping mall that prevented the, we took him out and prevented him from killing all the people in the, in the mall. Um, that has to do with, too, that they talked about security issues at the school. You know, when we had Uvalde, um, I believe that there was some back door that was open or things weren't secured or locked down. And I know that the teachers had talked about that as well. Some of the schools that they there's a lot of windows. I believe that our local schools do do a good job. You know, I have a parent as a parent of two kids in the, in the rural public school system. Um, you know, you can't just go get in any door. I mean, you have to the front door is the only entrance to the building and you have to walk through that door. Um, you know, and it's a pain sometimes if you're trying to go to the athletic office or you're trying to go somewhere else that you can't get in the door. But I mean, that's one of the safety measures. Um, you know, some of the concerns that our teachers were talking about, though, is that um, the funding is not there to purchase some of the things that they're needing. There's this device that one of the teachers wanted to get, um, and I'm not sure exactly what it's called, but it basically braces your door. I think they were $85 or something like that. Um, and it was proposed that they had those uh, to purchase um, and it wasn't in the budget, I guess, is what the, the teachers were told, so that they were going to go spend money out of their own pocket um, to get those. The concern was that they just wanted to make sure that they weren't a sitting duck, that if, in fact, something um, as treacherous as that would happen to the school system, that they would be prepared to not only protect themselves but protect the children as well. Um, I think that they talked a little bit about maybe there wasn't as much training as also that they would have liked uh, to have. That way they would have been in better preparation for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think just the mere fact that there would be somebody and you know that there's actually somebody at the school every day and that they are armed would be a deterrent for some people. I do believe that. If you go to the state house, you're going to be one of a lot of people. 163. <laughs> um, and will your philosophy be more of trying to weigh in on big issues the way your constituency wants, or will it be more on figuring out how to work the system to get the best benefit for your district that you can? Well, obviously, I'm representing 38,000 people in Phelps County. My number one interest is that um, I'm representing the wants and the needs of my community. Um, you know, they talk about the three C's that when you get down there that you vote for um, your constituents, you vote your conscious, and then you vote for your caucus. Um, constituents is number one, and they believe that philosophy. Um, yeah, I mean, I the whole reason for running this is I'm representing my people in my district. So um, I encourage anyone out there that's got thoughts on concerns about issues or those types of things, I'm here to represent you. want to make sure that the communication is open. I know that we've talked a lot about... Um, and not here just out when I'm door knocking, that type of thing with people that they've tried to call their uh, local people or they've tried to get in touch with them and they maybe don't get a return call or um, they're not communicating. I mean, my job is to answer the people in my community and make sure that if they have a concern that it's being addressed. Constituents first, conscience second, caucus, caucus third. third. The three C's. Tara Peters, candidate for the 122nd House District. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate the invite. Where can people find you online? So online, um, on Facebook, it's just We the People for Tara J. Peters. Um, and then I have an um, email address at ctlpeters at embarkmail.com. Um, and you can email me anytime with concerns or issues or, you know, those types of things. 
And you can find me on Twitter at Jonathan All. I am Jonathan All, and this has been Politically Speaking, a production of St. Louis Public Radio. St. Louis Public Radio is a service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.